This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Kaylee Mandati? So first I'll look at the background of this case. I'll move to the timeline of the alleged crime, then offer my analysis. In the fall of 2017, 19-year-old Kaylee Mandati was a sophomore at Trinity University in San Antonio, Texas. She was studying communications. She had been dating a man named Jet Burcham. The relationship was on and off through her freshman year and into her sophomore year. Kaylee didn't feel as though Jet wanted a long-term relationship, which is what she wanted. She started seeing a man named Mark Howerton. He was 22 years old. She was maintaining both relationships. Jet and Mark knew about each other. They knew that Kaylee was seeing both of them romantically. Not surprisingly, they were not pleased with this arrangement. On October 29, 2017, Kaylee attended a music festival in San Antonio with Mark Howerton. This was the last time she would be seen alive. Mark drove to a small hospital in Ludling, Texas. Kaylee was in his Mercedes. She had sustained a number of injuries. She was declared brain dead on October 30 and taken off life support on October 31. The police had a lot of questions for Mark. He spoke with them voluntarily at the hospital. He was also interviewed a few times after this. He said that he and Kaylee had an argument between 5 and 6 p.m. They left the festival. Kaylee admitted that she still had strong feelings for Jet. Mark was trying to convince her as to why he was a better romantic partner than Jet. Mark and Kaylee stopped at a gas station where they had rough sex. It involved choking, scratching, and hair pulling. Mark said it was 500% consensual. After sex, Kaylee was awake for about five to six minutes before saying she didn't feel well and then passing out. Mark claims that she was snoring, so he started driving toward his residence in Houston. I guess the plan was to spend the night there. As he was driving, she stopped snoring and he realized something was wrong. He rushed her to the hospital. Initially, Mark was not arrested in connection with Kaylee's death. But after the autopsy indicated that Kaylee died from blunt force trauma to the head and face, he was arrested and charged with murder and sexual assault. 
he pleaded not guilty. The trial would start in December of 2019. The theory of the crime for the prosecution was that Mark abducted Kaylee, assaulted her, then murdered her. The defense said that Kaylee must have fallen and died as a result. The outcome of the first trial was a mistrial. At the time of making this video, the next trial is set to begin in August of 2021. Now moving to my analysis. So the first question would be, is Mark Howerton guilty? Of course, I don't know the answer, but I will try my best to analyze the situation. Let's first take a look at the evidence both for and against the idea that he is guilty, starting with the inculpatory evidence. Kaylee's death was caused through blunt force trauma. She had bruises all over her body. A paramedic at the hospital who first encountered Mark as he pulled up said that Kaylee was naked and had bruises on the inside of her legs. Mark had redness on the back of his hands, although one could make the argument that he admitted that he had slapped her before as part of rough sex, so perhaps his hands were reddened due to that behavior. The police would find marijuana and a firearm in his vehicle. Mark's story about where the pair had sex changed. At first, he said they had sex at a gas station. Later, he said it was in a parking lot. The locations were 40 miles apart. So it seems unusual that he couldn't remember the location, especially given how far apart they were. Mark's character was also an issue, his past history of alleged offenses. Kaylee's roommate testified that just a few weeks before Kaylee's death, she had seen Mark and Kaylee in Kaylee's apartment. Mark had thrown Kaylee up against a brick wall on a balcony during an argument. They were fighting about Kaylee's desire to go to a party. Mark evidently did not want her to go. Kaylee and the roommate ended up going to the party and leaving Mark alone in Kaylee's apartment. One of Kaylee's neighbors heard banging sounds in Kaylee's apartment. She heard a male voice saying, I'm going to smash her face in. It would appear that Mark was talking to himself. Again, no one else was thought to be in that apartment. The police were called. They examined the apartment and found that clothes were scattered all over it, the balcony door was cracked, and Kaylee's laptop was smashed on the street outside. Mark was banned from the campus. Kaylee, of course, was upset with Mark. She did not want to communicate with him anymore. Mark contacted Kaylee and threatened to kill himself if she didn't return his calls. Around the same time, according to Jet, Kaylee called him and said she wanted to reunite, but also said, I'm literally in love with both of you. So it was like she was creating this competition, setting the stage for this competition between her two lovers. Jet claimed that Kaylee said that she would break up with Mark at the music festival. On the night of the music festival, Jet claimed that he was there and he saw Kaylee and Mark together. Kaylee was looking uncomfortable and nervous. Mark put his arm around her and they went to Mark's car. Then Mark physically picked Kaylee up and put her in his Mercedes. Again, this is what Jet said initially. This takes me to the exculpatory evidence, the evidence that points to innocence. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, Shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. 
You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Amy. And hi, Hi, True Crime Crime fans. fans. We're the co-hosts of She Goes by Jane. Every week, we'll be covering the story of a missing or unidentified woman in the United States. Stories you may have heard before. And ones whose stories didn't make it into the news. We've been covering these stories for a while, first in Amy's book of poetry, Doe, and then in Vanessa's documentary, She. But now we want to share them with you here on She Goes by Jane. And each week, we'll be joined by a special guest who will read a poem in honor of the women we talk about. Can we say who? We can say who. We'll be joined by actresses like Coco Jones and Gabrielle Ruiz. And musicians like Stephanie Quayle and Kelly Moneymaker, along with authors like Louise Penny and Catherine McKenzie. So check out She Goes by Jane wherever you get your podcasts, or check out Evergreen Podcasts and their true crime channel, Killer Podcasts. We can't wait to bring you these stories. As far as Jet's story, which really seemed to hurt Mark, Jet admitted that he lied to the grand jury. He never saw Mark lift Kaylee into Mark's vehicle. In addition, Jet was on probation for a drug charge at the time Kaylee died. On his phone, there were pictures of several large bags of marijuana. When questioned about those photographs, he would assert his Fifth Amendment rights 30 different times. So he's on probation for drug charges, and he seems to be distributing marijuana. So it's understandable why he was a bit nervous. What's curious about this is that Jet had struck a deal for immunity in exchange for his testimony. So even though he had a reason to be nervous, immunity should have alleviated his fears, yet he was still asserting his Fifth Amendment rights. It does not appear as though Kaylee had much luck in terms of selecting romantic interests, like her two boyfriends were in a competition to see who could be worse. In addition to what appears to be a less than credible witness, there was other evidence in favor of innocence. As far as Kaylee's cause of death, a few staff members at the hospital said they did not see any bruises on Kaylee's face when she arrived at the emergency room. Perhaps the hospital staff had caused all the bruises. They did try to revive Kaylee at least seven different times. So she could have been injured in that process. Kaylee had no fractures of any kind on her face. So she died of a blunt force trauma to her head and face, yet her eye sockets were not broken, her nose was not broken, no fractures. This doesn't really seem like the type of death caused by somebody striking her in the face. It could have been that the blunt force trauma was not caused by Mark. Kaylee had been drinking and using drugs. She had a significant amount of MDMA in her system. This drug is often referred to as ecstasy. She may have fallen and sustained a minor head injury and bled internally due to the drug use. The drug use would have increased the likelihood of hemorrhaging becoming out of control. Mark drove Kaylee to the hospital, which is unusual behavior for a killer. For example, murderers usually don't ask a victim 
where the nearest hospital is before they attempt to kill them. Mark allowed the police to search his vehicle, even though he had, again, marijuana and a firearm in it. When considering all the evidence, what do I think happened in this case? I think Mark probably did it, but at this point, there does seem to be reasonable doubt. The problem is that the prosecution can't exclude the theory that Kaylee fell. Again, she had used a lot of substances, so falling would not have been that unusual. If they could just prove she was beaten to death, I think that would eliminate the reasonable doubt, because who else could have done that but Mark Howerton? I think this is a good example of a case that should have been easy to win, but there was a lot of behavior that interfered. The fact that Jet Burcham lied to the grand jury, the fact that he was on probation and had those pictures of large bags of marijuana on his phone, the lack of agreement among the hospital staff as to what condition Kaylee was in when she arrived, especially as far as bruising, and Kaylee's substance use. It opened the door for an alternate theory of her death. There's another possibility as to what could have happened in this case. Perhaps Mark attacked Kaylee, like the rough sex was non-consensual, but he didn't intend to kill her. It may have been that Mark became furious, and considering the size difference between him and Kaylee, he ended up killing her when he wasn't necessarily trying to. This could explain why he drove to the hospital, why he changed his story about where the sex occurred, why his hands were red, and why he didn't put her clothes back on her. That seems like a strange move considering the circumstances. It would have been pretty easy to dress her and kind of reduce the suspicion around the entire incident. If it turns out that Mark is actually guilty, this would be yet another example of an impulsive, aggressive, and jealous person who just can't handle rejection or competition in a relationship. It's also another example of the rough sex defense, which I've talked about before, like in the case of Grace Mullane. By claiming that rough sex occurred, the defendant can explain away a number of the injuries that typically occur during a physical attack, and of course there is no one to contradict the claim because the partner is dead. What is unusual about the case of Kaylee Mandati is that the cause of death does not appear to be strangulation, even though Mark said that he did choker as part of the rough sex. The cause of death in most rough sex defense cases is strangulation. There's a debate about whether that defense should be permitted, but regardless, how could it be used to defend a death by beating? That doesn't really seem to make sense. Could it also be used to justify a shooting homicide or a stabbing homicide? There needs to be some type of limit if that defense is going to be permitted. What lessons can we learn in this case? I think this case offers yet another reminder that when a romantic partner becomes violent, it is something that should really attract people's attention. It requires some type of action, like contacting the authorities and avoiding contact with a perpetrator. It's not a small event in a relationship. It should be considered a shocking and horrible event, not something that should be tolerated, especially when it's coupled with any type of threat of death. In this case, the alleged killer threatened to take his own life, which of course is different than a threat of homicide, but it's still a threat involving death. It still shows that the lethal element is being introduced into the relationship. I've heard people say, well, my romantic partner might strike me, but they would never kill me. There is no safe way for one romantic partner to physically assault another. It's kind of like implying that a terrorist isn't so bad 
because they only construct small bombs. Just the fact that they are building a bomb in the first place should be alarming in and of itself. As far as the rough sex behavior, I've encountered a fair number of people who are drawn to this behavior, but there's no getting around that it's inherently risky. One of the dangers is that some people who really desire to have that type of sex are dominant and aggressive. Those are the desires that rough sex satisfies for them. Sometimes it can be difficult to restrict those feelings, to place limits on how extreme the behavior will become. Some behaviors are difficult to regulate. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa Vita Brevis. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule, history so interesting, it's criminal.